If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope your holiday is going well and you're fortunate enough to have shared a good meal with family and friends. Let us not forget those that are not so lucky this holiday season and help them out if you can. Washington had a very short work week, so we don't have a lot of headlines to talk about today. Let's jump right in and get up to speed going into what I hope will be a great weekend for everyone. Pennsylvania Senator and avant-garde hoodie aficionado John Fetterman finds himself under attack from the left wing of his party. His staunch support of Israel following the Hamas terror attacks of October 7th runs counter to what some want him to say, leading to increased criticism of him. This has been online and in person with protesters yelling at him outside his office and a pro-Palestinian former law professor confronting him in a bar leading to the protester being thrown out. The man, Dan Kovalik, has said things in the past like Israel is intent on the destruction of the Palestinian people and is engaged in a slow, patient, but systematic genocide. And in July of 2021, praised Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps General Qasem Soleimani. Soleimani was in charge of Iran's Quds Force, the organization responsible for operations abroad, such as coordinating support for terrorist groups like Hezbollah and Hamas and dictators like Syria's Bashar al-Assad. He was killed by a U.S. drone strike in 2020. Dan Kovalik thinks Soleimani is a great guy. The senator has been accused of taking money from the PAC Democratic Majority for Israel, and that is driving his support. I looked up the PAC on Open Secrets, and John Fetterman is not listed. Looking up the senator, similarly, the DMFI is not listed as one of the PACs giving him money. The DMFI did endorse him in the past, though. The DMFI has provided over $250,000 in total to 84 Democrats, but with the largest individual contributions at just $5,000, it's hardly enjoying a great deal of influence. Fetterman is not backing down, though. In an incident where pro-Palestinian protesters outside the Capitol accused him of having blood on his hands for supporting Israel, he went into his office and came back out with an Israeli flag and waved it while the protesters were being arrested. He also draped himself with an Israeli flag during the March for Israel rally on the National Mall this month. Regarding any ceasefire, in an October 18th Twitter post, Fetterman said, Hamas does not want peace, they want to destroy Israel. We can talk about a ceasefire after Hamas is neutralized. On the Republican campaign trail, Ron DeSantis's campaign is starting to show signs of internal tensions. A recent meeting of the Never Back Down PAC's board almost came to blows this week. Political consultant Jeff Rowe and DeSantis' classmate from Yale, Scott Wagner, got into an argument, according to NBC News. Rowe said to Wagner, you have a stick up your ass, Scott. Wagner replied, why don't you come over here and get it? Wagner, a former Yale football player, was then restrained by two other board members. Hey, Senator Mullen, I think I found your kind of organization. Tape up those fists. The PAC has been unable to abate DeSantis' continual slide down in the polls, and the candidate is frustrated with their poor performance as he watches rising star Nikki Haley pull away. It's to the point now that the campaign is concerned the PAC ads are actually backfiring and they are no longer running ads in Iowa. After this latest embarrassing incident, a new PAC has been stood up, Fight Right Inc. The new PAC is already running ads in Iowa comparing Nikki Haley to Hillary Clinton. It is reported that Fight Right was actually seeded with $1 million from Never Back Down. The CEO of Never Back Down, Chris Jankowski resigned soon after and in a statement to CBS News said, 
Never Back Down's main goal and sole focus has been to elect Governor Ron DeSantis as president. Given the current environment, it has become untenable for me to deliver on the shared goal, and that goes well beyond a difference of strategic opinion. Heading to the Granite State, Biden challenger Democratic House member Dean Phillips is a problem for the Democrats in New Hampshire. The Democrats have stripped the state of its delegates because it wouldn't agree to run its primaries after South Carolina despite the Biden administration's pressure to do so. With a Democratic challenger on the ballot, though, it would be embarrassing for Dean Phillips to do well while the incumbent president is not even on the ballot. To that end, the Democratic National Committee has launched a campaign to have voters write Biden on their ballots. Phillips may prove to be as much of a problem for the Republicans as Biden in New Hampshire, though. Republican primary candidates Nikki Haley and Chris Christie are polling well with New Hampshire independents. The state has a large pool of independent voters, and they were poised to make an impact on the GOP ballots with no Democrats to vote for because of the machinations of the DNC. With Phillips jumping into the race, though, it's no longer the case. In a November 17th University of New Hampshire CNN poll of almost 2,000 voters, Phillips pulled 10% against Biden and the other Democrats. If Phillips can carve away some of the state's independents who might have voted in the GOP primary for the two perceived moderates, it could help Donald Trump win the state's GOP delegates. Haley and Christie have been rising in the polls, and no small part to New Hampshire's independent voters. More than 3,500 Democrats had switched their party affiliation to unenrolled, possibly to vote in the Republican primaries, but the Democrats are now hoping to pull them back with a sudden Biden versus Phillips drama. This year seems to have been a defining one for a lot of senators and congresspeople, with an increasingly expanding list of them announcing they will not be running for re-election next year. Some are doing so to chase other political positions, private sector ones, or leaving politics altogether for personal reasons. When California Senator Dianne Feinstein died this year, her seat was filled with the temporary appointment of LaFonza Butler, who has announced she will not run to retain the seat next year. This has spurred three Democratic House members for California to launch campaigns to secure that seat. From the 12th District, Barbara Lee, the 30th, Adam Schiff, and the 47th, Katie Porter. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia announced earlier this month that he would not seek re-election, citing the political climate in Washington, lamenting, The majority of Americans are just plain worn out. Manchin said, what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. There is some chatter that Manchin may be showing back up as the candidate from the No Labels Party for president, and he has made no attempts to quell that talk. In fact, he told NBC's Meet the Press host and Kristen Welker that he would absolutely consider a run for president. Another soon-to-be-retired senator, Mitt Romney, is often mentioned in the same conversation with Manchin as a possible third-party candidate for president. With his announcement, Manchin has started the competition to win his seat. Incumbent governor of West Virginia and former Republican, then Democrat for two years before coming back to the GOP, Jim Justice, had already announced he would run for the seat. Upon Manchin's announcement, however, Justice was joined by Republican member of the U.S. House of Representatives, Alex Mooney, Mooney currently represents West Virginia's 2nd Congressional District and thinks he is the Republican to win. Let the battle begin. Democratic Senator from Michigan, Debbie Stabenow, will also be retiring. The candidates to take it are forming up. Fellow Democrat, Michigan 3rd District Representative Alyssa Slotkin is first. Actor Hill Harper is running as well as a Democrat. Two Republican former congressmen are also pursuing the seat, Mike Rogers and Peter Magier.
Maryland Democratic Senator Ben Cardin will be retiring at the end of his term, prompting House Maryland District 6 Congressman David Trone to throw his hat in the ring. The impending retirement of Delaware Senator Tom Carper has motivated the state's only congressperson, Lisa Blunt Rochester, to announce her intention to run for it. Republican Senator from Indiana Mike Braun will be seeking the office of Governor of Indiana, with his Senate seat becoming vacant, Republican House member Jim Banks, currently representing Indiana's 3rd District, has announced his campaign for the seat. There are some House members not going after soon-to-be vacant Senate seats, but gunning for incumbents. New Jersey's 3rd District Rep, Democrat Andy Kim, intends to unseat and battle New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez next year. With Menendez's approval ratings hitting 6% last week, Kim seems to have a solid chance. Kim's strongest competition in that race is likely New Jersey First Lady Tammy Murphy, who is also running for Menendez's Senate seat. Texas's Democratic 32nd District Rep Colin Alred thinks he can knock out Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Ruben Gallego, Democratic representative for Arizona's 3rd District, is going for Kristen Sinema's Senate seat. Since she left the party and went independent, Sinema has not been able to raise much money compared to her challenger and may be vulnerable. Some other House members are also seeking offices other than Capitol Hill vacancies. Virginia representative for the 7th District, Abigail Spanberger, has announced she will compete to become the first female governor of Virginia. Sitting Governor Glenn Youngkin is unable to run again owing to Virginia's one-term limit. Two North Carolina representatives, Democrat Jeff Johnson for the 14th District and Republican Dan Bishop from the 8th, are both heading home to fight to become North Carolina's Attorney General. Around 20 more House members are leaving as well. Many cite the intolerable environment in the lower chamber as the reason for leaving. Some said it was personal reasons, such as spending more time with their families instead of in Washington, or to seek other opportunities or pursuits. For one member, George Santos, though, it's likely not his choice, but just the writing on the wall. He's leaving one way or the other. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.